Chapter Three of the Knights of Arthur by Frederick Pohl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. I have to tell you about Vern Ingdahl. We were all from the Sea Sprite, of course, me and Vern, and even Arthur. The thing about Vern is that he was the lowest-ranking one of us all, only an electrician's mate third. I mean, when anybody paid any attention to things like that. And yet he was pretty much doing the thinking for the rest of us. Coming to New York was his idea. He told us that was the only place we could get what we wanted. Well, as long as we were carrying Arthur along with us, we pretty much needed Vern because he was the one who knew how to keep the lash-up going. You've got no idea what kind of pumps and plumbing go into a prosthetic tank until you've seen one opened up. And naturally Arthur didn't want any breakdowns without somebody around to fix things up. The Sea Sprite, maybe you know, was one of the old liquid sodium reactor subs. Too slow for combat duty, but as big as a barn, so they made it into a hospital ship. We were cruising deep when the missiles hit, and of course when we came up there wasn't much for a hospital ship to do. I mean, there isn't any sense fooling around with anybody who's taken a good deep breath of fallout. So we went back to Newport News to see what had happened. And we found out what had happened. And there wasn't anything much to do except pay off the crew and let them go. But us three stuck together. Why not? It wasn't as if we had any families to go back to any more. Vern just loved all this stuff. He'd been an Eagle Scout. Maybe that had something to do with it. And he showed us how to boil drinking water and forage in the woods and all like that, because nobody in his right mind wanted to go near any kind of a town, until the cold weather set in anyway. And it was always Vern, Vern telling us what to do, ironing out our troubles. It worked out, except there was this one thing. Vern had bright ideas, but he didn't always tell us what they were. So I wasn't very surprised when I came to. I mean, there I was, tied up, with this girl Amy standing over me, holding the gun like a club. Evidently she'd found out that there weren't any cartridges. And in a couple of minutes there was a knock on the door, and she yelled, Come in! And in came Vern. And the man who was with him had to be somebody important, because there were eight or ten other men crowding in close behind. I didn't need to look at the oak leaves on his shoulders to realize that here was the chief, the fellow who ran this town, the mayor. It was just the kind of thing Vern would do. Vern said, with the look on his face that made strange officers wonder why this poor persecuted man had been forced to spend so much time in the brig, Now, Major, I'm sure we can straighten all this out. Would you mind leaving me alone with my friend here for a moment? The Major teetered on his heels, thinking. He was a tall, youngish, bald type, with a long, worried, horse-like face. He said, "'Uh, do you think we should?' "'I guarantee there'll be no trouble, Major,' Vern promised. 
The Major pulled at his little mustache. "'Very well,' he said. "'Amy, you come along.' "'We'll be right here, Major,' Vern said reassuringly, escorting him to the door. "'You bet you will,' said the Major, and tittered. "'Uh, bring that gun along with you, Amy, and be sure this man knows that we have bullets.' They closed the door. Arthur had been cowering in his suitcase, but now his eye-stalks peeped out, and the rattling and clattering from that typewriter sounded like the Battle of the Bulge. I demanded, "'Come on, Vern, what's this all about?' Vern said, "'How much did they offer you?' Clatter, bang, bang. I peeked, and Arthur was saying, "'Warned you, Sam, that Engdahl was up to tricks.' Please, Sam, please, 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 hit him on the head, knock him out. He must have a gun, so get it and shoot our way out of here. A hundred and fifty thousand dollars, I said. Vern looked outraged. I only got forty. Arthur clattered. Vern, I appeal to your common decency. We're old shipmates, Vern. Remember all the times I... Still, Vern mused, it's all common funds anyway, right? Arthur belongs to both of us. I don't, don't, don't repeat, don't belong to anybody but me. That's true, I said grudgingly, but I carried him, remember. Sam, what's the matter with you, Q-Q? I don't like the expression on your face. Listen, Sam, you aren't. Vern said, A hundred and fifty thousand, remember. Thinking of selling. And of course we couldn't get out of here, Vern pointed out. They've got us surrounded. Me to these rats, QQ. Sam, Vern, please don't scare me. I said, pointing to the fluttering paper in the rattling machine, You're worrying our friend. Vern shrugged impatiently. I knew I shouldn't have trusted you, Arthur wept. That's all I mean to you, eh? Vern said, Well, Sam, let's take the cash and get this thing over with. After all, he will have the best of treatment. It was a little like selling your sister into white slavery. But what else was there to do? Besides, I kind of trusted Byrne. All right, I said. What Arthur said nearly scorched the paper. Byrne helped pack Arthur up for moving. I mean, it was just a matter of pulling the plugs out and making sure he had a fresh battery. But Byrne wanted to supervise it himself. Because one of the little things Vern had up his sleeve was that he had found a spot for himself on the Major's payroll. He was now the official prosthetic human maintenance department chief. The Major said to me, Ah, Dunlap, what sort of experience have you had? Experience? In the Navy. Your friend Engdahl suggested you might want to join us here. Oh, I see what you mean. I shook my head. Nothing that would do you any good, I'm afraid. I was a yeoman. Yeoman? Like a company clerk, I explained. I mean, I kept records and cut orders and made out reports and all like that. 
Company clerk! The eyes in the long horsey face gleamed. Ah, you're mistaken, Dunlap. Why, that's just what we need. Our morning reports are in foul shape. Foul. Come over to HQ. Lieutenant Bankhead will give you a lift. Lieutenant Bankhead? I got an elbow in my ribs for that. It was that girl Amy standing alongside me. I, she said, am Lieutenant Bankhead. Well, I went along with her, leaving Engdahl and Arthur behind. But I must admit, I wasn't sure of my reception. Out in front of the hotel was a whole fleet of cars, three or four of them at least. There was a big old Cadillac that looked like a gangster's car, thick glass in the windows, tires that looked like they belonged on a truck. I was willing to bet it was bulletproof, and also that it belonged to the Major. I was right both times. There was a little M.G. with the top down and a couple of light trucks. Every one of them was painted bright orange, and every one of them had the star and bar of the good old United States Army on its side. It took me back to old times, all but the unmilitary color. Amy led me to the M.G. and pointed. "'Sit,' she said. I sat. She got in the other side, and we were off. It was a little uncomfortable, on account of I wasn't just sure whether I ought to apologize for making her take her clothes off. And then she tramped on the gas of that little car, and I didn't think much about being embarrassed or about her black lace lingerie. I was only thinking about one thing, how to stay alive long enough to get out of that car. End of chapter 3